Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everybody. J.J. Cooper, Carlos Colazzo here on a draft podcast. Draft week. It's draft week. Carlos, it's I know crazy. that you're both excited and tired, but it's draft week. <laughs> how, how, how pumped are you? I am not to the finish line yet, so I still have plenty of energy. I think this is always the week where you kind of you're at the finish line, and I feel like all of our the bulk of our work in terms of covering the draft is is basically done in terms of like letting you guys know who the players are. Once the reports are done, it's always a great sigh of relief for me. It's a it's a, yes. kind of a mini finish line, and then the days leading up to the draft are always the most fun because it's nothing but trying to figure out who is drafting which player where and it's just a bunch of it's a bunch of rumors it does get quiet at times uh maybe not as many rumors or as much clarity as you would like uh but right now we're just trying to figure out where the players are going and that's the most fun part we just had a mock draft go up a few minutes before we started recording this podcast so if you guys haven't seen that that's version 7.0 um, but yeah, I'm, I'm a little tired, but still got plenty of energy to get through this week. I can't wait to see how this unfolds. So yeah, it, it, it has not been quiet today. I, I feel like, I feel like today, you know, there's a, a lot of chatter out there. Um, yeah. I, I think, would you agree? I think so. I think this morning as we were kind of starting to continue just the reporting process for this mock, the past two years, I would say the days leading up to the draft, it's almost been like radio silence. Uh, where you kind of expect things to come out, and there's really not a ton. Today we got a few nuggets, uh, and, and we're hearing a little bit more about a few players further down in the draft, which is always good. Again, with all this stuff, I feel like you feel good about it now, and then who knows what's going to happen on draft night. Everything could go out the window. But I do feel like we had a, a few moving pieces lately that are worth talking about. I don't know if you want to start at the yeah. top of the draft and work down or well, how you want to go about it. But. Well, I think one thing that has made this – I'll throw out a statement that I've heard, and I want to kind of hear if you do agree or disagree. The thing that has kind of helped as far as this year's draft when you're doing a mock is there's even more certainty. Maybe it's because we don't have the Orioles picking one like we had last year. You know, But, but last year we felt very confident that Adley Russian was going to go one. One. Mm-hmm. This year, we feel very confident that Spencer Torkelson's going to go 1-1. Yeah. The other thing I would say this year, though, is this year, everyone I've talked to the last couple of days keeps always kind of saying there's like eight or nine guys who we feel very confident are going to go in the top 10 range. Is that yeah. going overboard, or is that fair to say you can shuffle the order you want of them, but 
I would say, I guess, that there's eight or nine guys who, if any of them last on the board past 11, it would be kind of surprising. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, uh, yeah, I would agree. And I'd even say going back to 2018 when Casey Mize was the number one player, we kind of knew he was going to be Ooh. number one. So, so basically, since I've been doing this, I haven't really had to guess too much at number one. We've kind of always assumed. And that's, that's always nice to at least have that out of the way to kind of start working on the board. But. It's it's way different than like 2012 where literally no one outside of like three yeah. people knew until the uh, I mean, pick was done. Even at, in 2017, I feel like there was a group of five players where, unless I'm mistaken, I don't, I don't know if anyone was certain who was going one yeah. in that draft. So it's been, it's been a lot easier for me to at least start, start on the right track. And that's, that's been nice. Hopefully it continues with Torkelson. Um, and, and I haven't heard anything to, to lead me to not put him there. But, the Tigers have been good to be at number one. I'll say that. But, but along those lines, I, I like talking. I think we've had enjoyed talking in these last couple of days when talking about the mocks about kind of inflection points, friction mm-hmm. points, fulcrum points, call it what you want. But these points in the draft where, okay, something could happen here, could go this way or this way. Mm-hmm. And that could really shape the next five, six, seven or, or further picks. Mm-hmm. The first one of those in this draft is at pick two, right? I mean, that's where – and I don't want to overemphasize it because whoever the Orioles pick is not going to affect who is picked by the White Sox at 11. It's not mm. going to filter down that far. But it absolutely is going to affect who the Marlins take at three potentially or the Royals at four, and you just kind of keep going down the list – it's, it is kind of an inflection point if they don't go Austin Martin. Is that fair? Yeah, I think so. And I think t- kind of to your point, while I agree that this might not affect who the teams and the teens are taking, if, if the goal is to get your mock draft as accurate as possible, missing guys up top really hurts because even though you might have all the right names there, if you, if you miss two, just the ripple effects that causes basically makes your whole top ten look pretty bad but I do think two is the first one where things get interesting we've talked about and we've explored the options of an underslot deal uh there have been plenty of rumors about that uh whether that's Zach Veen whether that's a guy like Nick Gonzalez uh I still think now that it's more likely than not that they go Austin Martin because I think at the end of the day teams want to get the most talented players they can when you're picking at the top of the draft I think the goal is just to get impact talent in your system. And I think Austin Martin, I mean, we've talked about the one number one debate. I think it's closer than a lot of people are making it seem right now, just with the amount of different people that have Torgelson as the number one guy, I think we're maybe steering too close to the Adley Rutschman type of number one player that in my yeah. mind, I, I think there's the difference in Martin and Torgelson is much narrower than the number ones we've had in the last two draft class for me. So I think when you're picking number two and you've got a chance to land either of those bats, you just take the bat and you figure out your next pick when it comes along. I don't think you get too crazy. And I think we've talked about this as well. The financial games you have to play to underslot or overslot a player in this year's draft class is going to be even more challenging. So I think kind of all of those things just lead me to believe that that Martin is probably going to be the guy. And I, I probably love game theory way too much, but kind of along those lines, I, I did want to talk about that for a second though. So we've, cause your last mock before this, we had Zach Veen going, you had Zach Veen going to the uh, Orioles at two. Mm-hmm. And the thing that obviously that does is, and again, if the, if 
I think it should make clear if the Orioles go someone other than Martin, they're not going to go for someone who's, you know, eighth on their board. They're picking someone who is a top five, six talent on everyone's board or most everyone's boards probably. And they're looking to save a little bit money there to, you know, to, to go further down. But it's not like that they're going to say, we're not going to hear them say the Orioles select Patrick Bailey and they saved, you know, uh, you know, it's not the Royals taking Hunter Dozier with the idea that they were going to, you know, come back and get Sean Manea. That's, that's not what we're talking about here uh, mm-hmm. to give a, a draft example from recent years. But to, to explain it a little bit from what you just talked about, why is it that it would be difficult to push a guy down this year as opposed to say some other years? Well, I think that, I think there are a number of different things that come into play. I think the bonus pools are smaller. I think you have, when you only have five picks in five rounds, well, a few teams have more or less than, than pick, right. five, but picks. five rounds. Yeah. But five rounds. I think that you just have less wiggle room. And I think that there's just more risk that in this year's draft, a team can pop one of those guys you're trying to slide down. And with all the different leverage issues that players might have kind of the, uh, the confusing times that the players are dealing with in, in terms of their college situation or future draft years, I just think that it'll be easy. And we've seen it in recent years. We've seen more teams just taking players without having like known what their price point was just saying, we like the player we're taking and we'll figure out the bonus. So I think you run into that risk and you don't have, if you, if you don't get one of those guys to fall, you can't then go draft a high upside high school guy later on and try and make up for it. There's no safety valve if you miss out on those guys, I'll say. So I just think it's more of a challenge to try and slide those guys down. Um, I guess that's maybe the easiest way to that I can explain it. There might be another other factors in there. The, but. but if any team is going to slide a guy down, I do think the Orioles have the, the best possibility of doing it because – they pick first of all these teams who, who have kind of multiple picks, you know, supplemental first and then a second rounder as well. They pick 30. That gives them an advantage over the Pirates, the Royals, the Padres, the Rockies, these teams who have a high first-round pick, a supplemental first, and then a second. They got to get first shot at those guys. Now, I, I completely agree with you that in this year's draft, if let's say a high school arm, which often the guys who fall are the high school arms, if a high school arm falls, there's no guarantee this year that there's not someone picking at 18, picking at 20, picking at 25, who may say, ah, we'll take them and we'll think we can get them signed. Having one option to take there, you know, trying to slide a guy is not going to necessarily work out. It's mm-hmm. not like it was, you know, even just in, you know, a few 2012, 2013, 2014, the, the slot differences, the slots have been compressed. That said, Again, those teams, Orioles, Pirates, Royals, Padres, Rockies, those teams have supplemental first and then boom, right back, right after it, a second round pick. If you save some money at the top, or even if you don't, if you package those two picks together, it gives you a lot of money. If you said we're going to go high on one and then we're going to go cheap on the other, mm-hmm. it, it does give you at least some options of doing that, I think. Yeah, no doubt. It'll be interesting. I mean, we do, we do have a prep pitcher sliding into that range in our latest mock draft that you can go click on the link to see who it is. Uh, pretty good I like that. That's a, that's a good teaser. That's a, that, that's <laughs> going to make people click right there. Baseballamerica.com. I can't guarantee um, it's the Orioles, but you know, there's a chance it is. But um, so 
Okay, after the Orioles at two, mm-hmm. what's the next pick? I'll put it this way. Let's make it – I'll put you on the spot selfishly for you. What's the next pick that could really screw up your mock? It's definitely the Royals. Um, I mean, we've, we've gotten Asa Lacey really consistently with the Marlins, and I think that if it's not going to be Asa Lacey there, something happened in front. So I don't think that would really mess up the mock too much when you get to four. But Kansas City, I feel like is tied with uh, – I feel like they're tied with a couple different players that could – kind of how we talked about with two, just depending on who goes. There are teams behind the Royals who are in on certain guys and out on other guys. Uh, like Zach Veen, he's got so many landing spots throughout the first that it would make me feel okay. Um, Nick Gonzalez has some in, in other spots. I mean, the Mariners are a team who, if Zach Veen was available, I, I think they would be interested in Nick Gonzalez. If if Zach Veen was the guy that came down there, I don't I don't know that the Mariners would be, just based on what we're hearing now. So I think that's another interesting one. I, I wouldn't be surprised if there are some other players they were thinking about there. Heston Kerstad is a guy who's getting – a lot of intrigue in the top 10. And I think in this year's draft in particular, you look at his profile, his track record, his power. If you think that Kerstad was about to have the JJ Bladé kind of season and you really buy into that, I mean, you take him there because JJ Bladé, if we look back at last year, he was thought of as a back of the first round kind of pick. Then he went on that power binge and worked himself into that top five. If scouts and teams thought that Kerstad was ready to do that this year I mean that pick could look pretty good in a couple years but again that's just something we we don't really know so I think there are a number of different options there for the Royals I'm inclined to think they're probably going to go for a bat but there are just a number of options that make sense there that that makes me think of a question I had a a GM ask me that I think is a good question to ask you which is who is the player that you think was hurt the most in the first round I don't want to bring up someone who's like you know going to go what may have gone on day th- day two and then but who's the player who is hurt the most by the early shutdown and who's a player who was hurt the least I'm going to give you my I'll give you my version and I want to hear what you have to say because my hurt the least is that I mean are we saying outside of your, your hurt the least is who Zach Veen Zach Veen from mean probably is that how the season played out Mm-hmm. Everyone got to see Zach Veen. Zach Veen had a great start to the season. And I don't know if necessarily a whole lot more had to happen for him yeah. to push him further up the draft board. In terms afterwards. of separating him from the other high school players, I think that's a pretty good argument. I think if we're moving the conversation outside of guys like Spencer Torkelson and Austin Martin, I think that that probably makes a lot of sense. In terms of the guy who's hurt the most, the one guy that I come back to a lot is Garrett Crochet. Um, Agreed. I think, I think that's maybe the most obvious one just because he was a guy who didn't play a lot early in the year because he was dealing with some uh, one outing. Which, yeah, he had three innings and one outing. Uh, but he was maybe the most exciting name in the industry last fall based on just the pure stuff, the explosion out of his left hand. And if he had a chance to take the mound every week, show that he could start and continued showing that type of stuff. I mean, you're talking about a guy who could move into top five kind of range, like what we saw with Max Meyer. Max Meyer really came out and showed that he could start and hold his electric stuff. Crochet's pure stuff is is comparable to that, and he's a six-foot-six left-hander. So if he went out and was just solid, I think you're looking at a guy who really jumps up boards. 
But now if you're looking at his, just his starting track record, it's not very good. Uh, so you're basically banking on the pure stuff, figuring itself out. And you're confident that regardless of whether he threw three innings or not, you just like the talent. So I think that's a guy who's definitely hurt by this just because uh, he just didn't have time to kind of show it and, and make teams feel confident. The other one I'll throw out is, is Ed Howard. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm, I'm curious to hear your, I'm curious to hear this one. Cause I, I feel like I, I might think in different terms at, at this point. And, and again, admittedly, there's a couple of things that would, I, I could counter my own argument, which is, is that Ed Howard is playing, you know, uh, uh, upper Midwest, mm-hmm. the, the caliber of competition he's going to regularly face is he's not going to, you know, face elite arms week in, week out. So he's not going to get that chance to, of a kid playing in SoCal to kind of show up in marquee matchups week after week. Like, you know, like some of those guys that said, I do think a, a guy like Ed Howard a strong, you know, he's the kind of guy who could have had that, that April, May where, okay, everyone's got to come back in to see him again. Man, he's really has taken a step forward. Now, admittedly, maybe part of that is this, maybe he's hitting against a dude, you know, mm-hmm. not every week who's, who's a, 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 a top five round talent. But I think he's a guy who the fact that him and, and Austin Hendrick, you know, these guys who just never got a chance to let everyone see him this spring – you just didn't get to see that that same – you don't get to have that same comfort level that you got with a, a Zach Fien. As much as everyone is talking about how they're learning stuff from the Zoom calls and how they're doing a lot of video and all that, at the end of the day, if you're a GM, if you're a scouting director, if you're a special assistant, and you sat and watched Zach Fien do it this spring, early in the spring – it gives you a comfort level that maybe you don't have with a guy who literally never got to, you know, never got to do that for you. Yeah. I was going to be more against this Ed Howard take, but I think the key is he was going to be a, one of the players who's coming to tournament as stars. Uh, and I think just like we saw Jordan Adams, I mean, vastly improve his stock at that tournament a few years ago, become a first round pick for the angels. Ed Howard was, is already way more established than Jordan Adams was coming into that event. So if he went there and hit, I do think that's an event that can really kind of make you or break you, maybe not break you in, a, in terms of Ed Howard, but, but it could have made him. This is definitely not a good shortstop class. Uh, maybe no. that's kind of relative to the classes we've seen in recent years, but I mean, Ed Howard is our top shortstop, like pure shortstop. You could talk about Nick Gonzalez, maybe playing there or awesome Martin, maybe playing there. But in terms of pure shortstops who, you know, are going to stay at the position. Ed Howard is the top ranked guy and he's at number 20 on our board. That's significantly lower than the typical top shortstop in a class, uh, particularly on the high school side where that's normally like kind of the, the meat of your class is the high school shortstops. You normally have toolsy guys. He's not and, as toolsy as some of these guys. Uh, so I think there are just a little bit more questions about his bat right now. There's no questioning the defense, but at the end of the day, teams want hitters. And, and the other thing is, again, it's a bad year for college shortstops too. Nick Gonzalez – Austin Martin were two guys who were talked about, you know, Austin Martin didn't play any shortstop this spring. Mm-hmm. Nick Gonzalez did, but everyone kind of, there's a lot of thought that Nick Gonzalez basically is, he's a bat who maybe plays shortstop more likely probably plays second base or, or somewhere else. If you're talking pure shortstop, you go a long ways on this college lift too. I mean, Nick Lofton is, is pretty much where you go. And, and that's kind of a, a late first round guy. Yeah. I think so. I think there's a chance Lofton could sneak into the middle just because, like we talked about, it's not a great shortstop class. He does everything pretty well. And he's another guy who, when you just kind of look at his overall track record, 
in college, it's pretty good. Uh, and the power is trending in the right direction as well. So uh, that's definitely an interesting bat. I'm curious to see where he goes. But so I think there's okay. one other fulcrum point in the, in what, the top 10. That we could what is about. that? I'm curious, I'm curious to hear where, what you think it is or, or if any jump out to you. I, I would say to me, the other one is right at that 10, 11 spot. That's the one I okay. keep hearing again, because I keep hearing, you know, there's like eight, nine guys that you feel pretty good about that they're going to go in that top 10. And let's say that all nine of those go, then all of a sudden let's get wacky because yeah. it wouldn't surprise me at all. If there's a pick at 10, 11, 12, mm-hmm. that's like, Oh, okay. We're starting going, we're going in that direction now yeah. because I mean, it does feel like that's where the high school bats though start to line up again. Yeah, I think I think that's fair for me. At like ten or eleven, really eleven or twelve, I think that's where just kind of the board the draft opens up a lot more, and it's just a lot harder to figure out. Like these are the players. This is kind of the range. I think you could have a bunch of different players coming into play that that made a lot of sense. The last one in the I think there's a third one in the top ten for me, and maybe it's just because this team has been really hard to kind of lock down the entire time we've been doing this. Is is the Pirates? Just because kind of where they're falling, I feel like there are a number of players that might be available to them depending on how things go in front of them in terms of different demographics, high school hitter. We've heard high school pitchers linked to them. We've heard college pitchers. We've heard college hitters. So there's just no real strong feel for, for which player they want. And maybe that's just because they're in a position where they're just going to take whoever the best players that makes it to them. Uh, maybe I'm just overthinking that a little bit, but they've been, they've been tricky for me. I yeah, would say. I'd agree with that. You know, I, I, I think, as you said, once you get to about, 15 16 at that point it's it's kind of wide open which is normal for a draft yeah i'd flip it now to me there are a couple of wild cards on the player side Mm -hmm. um and and one i'll throw out with that that i kind of want your your kind of input on is is we have garrett mitchell six on our board our ba 500 yeah and we don't have garrett mitchell going anywhere near six in your latest mock uh, carlos so yeah these teams are crazy what are they doing so but no yeah explain yeah, Garrett Mitchell, he's been basically since we started doing these mock drafts, or at least when we get to a range where you start to get some real information about mock drafts, he's been a true wild card. Uh, I would say the past two weeks, outside of today, the past two weeks, he was trending in the wrong direction. I kept hearing more and more, yeah, Garrett Mitchell, we think he might be slipping. Just teams are concerned with uh, the diabetic aspect of everything, uh, the hit tool, like we understand he has better ball skills, but what is the quality of the swing? Is he going to be an impact type of hitter? Today, I started hearing more rumors that he was trending in the opposite direction uh, and that teams weren't as concerned about the medical. So I think this could be a situation where it's just split camp. Some teams are more concerned about the diabetic issue and other teams are really buying into the tool set and the upside because, and I keep going back to this, but I think Garrett Mitchell is one of those players that has tremendous upside and a tremendous floor. That's why we have him kind of ranked where we do, just based on the feedback that we got from scouts um, throughout this process, even going back to his high school days. I mean, if he if he is not an impact master kind of hitter, you still have an 80-grade runner with plus defense in center field, plus arm strength, very good bat-to-ball skills, and the ability to kind of hit above his true talent because of his his speed. Like, I would expect him to have an inflated batting average for a long time because he routinely post 80 great times out of the box the upside is you get a guy who's all that plus he hits 20 plus home runs a year that's a perennial all-star if he taps into that power I just feel like at a certain point the upside is too much to pass up on and he was off to a really good start this spring so 
I'm not in conversations when teams are talking about how they're factoring in the medical and how you assess the risk of the type one diabetes. Um, but clearly that is really an impact for some teams. But I think that, I don't know, I think middle of the first round at some point, he's going to come off the board. I'm very curious to see the team that does it because whoever, whoever takes him in that range, I'm going to think that's great value just based on where we have him on the board. Yeah. So again, you get past that and it's really now we're into the, uh, the wide open, you know, obviously, yeah. understandably, especially, and I, I think that it's notable to say this, especially in a draft this deep, mm-hmm. and especially in a draft this deep where with less information, there's a lot of information still, but less information, the board should be more um, divergent than a normal year because mm-hmm. – I, to take just a couple of examples that we have kind of in the, you know, in the back half of the, the first round and even into the supplemental. Okay. Mm-hmm. Bryce Jarvis, Bobby Miller, pair of college pitchers, both of whom really were impressive at times. And the Bryce Jarvis was arguably the most impressive college pitcher in the class. Mm-hmm. I think it's fair to say, well, I could see much more divergent opinion on a guy like that this year than there is because it's kind of coming. It, it was, uh, it, it, he took a step forward. Mm-hmm. It looked like in that first essentially month of the season, Bobby Miller took a bigger step forward. Are those guys who like, you know, there could be, or am I, it would it be other guys or the kind of guys who would be the ones who would have a more differing opinions on. No, I think there are a lot of college pitchers who kind of fall into that bucket. I think, even if you had a full season and you kind of let these guys line themselves up, I think teams would have had a really tough time getting any sort of consensus on how they lined up just because the talent and the depth of this college pitching class is so strong. I would even point to the comp round. If you're a BA subscriber, look through the comp round kind of as we go over this conversation, but there are so many college arms who impressed scouts this year or, their pitch data looks really good as teams are kind of going over and over and over them as we lead up to the draft. There are guys like Kyle Nicholas who came out and pitched really well. There are guys who went the other direction, uh, Carmen Ledzinski or Majinski, excuse me, who was a guy who had a chance to be a top 10 kind of pick entering the year, but didn't pitch as well. So how teams evaluate those first four weeks and decide what's real and figure out were they trending in the right direction? Was there something that's easily fixable that we saw? I think that is is the tough scouting challenge that a lot of these teams have, and they're all going to come to different conclusions. Um, and honestly, the college pitching is just incredibly tough to figure out in this range because the depth of it is is just so good. And we didn't have time for them to to line themselves up. Maybe if we had a full season, it would be very clear who was the seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth college arm. Maybe maybe that is how it would have played out. But in the time that we had so far. Uh, it wasn't the case. So, and, and again, we're we're gonna have we're gonna have college pitchers taken in the second round who would have comfortably, if they went in the supplemental or even the late first round last year, we'd have been like, that's a good pick at that spot because he's you know the best pitcher on the board. And this year, that guy's not gonna be the best pitcher on the board for quite a while. And that's one of the things that that stands out. You know, again, very positive about this class. We've talked all about how deep the college pitching is in this class. Where else, Carlos, do you think, especially when we get into the early part of day two of the draft, where is the depth of the class in addition? 
let's grant the college pitching is great. Mm-hmm. Where in addition to that, what else is really impressive in this class? Yeah, I think, I think at times the college pitching can maybe dominate the conversation a little too much. I know I've talked about it a lot, so maybe it's just a me problem. But I think the high school class as a whole is very deep. I think there are a lot of really intriguing hitters in this class. I think the pitching is strong. I don't think the class uh, at the prep level is, is geared one way or another in this range. I think at, top, at the top, the high school outfielders are pretty impressive. But just the bats and the athletes on the high school side that you could be looking at in this range – there are a lot of really interesting guys. Mason Wynn is a guy JJ you saw as an underclassman and he jumped off the pay or off off the field to you like right away. Just the the athleticism, the mm-hmm. toolsiness he has on both sides of the ball. Kevin Parada, I won't talk too much about him because I talked too you much. You love about him. him. I love the bat. Isaiah Green is another bat that there are people who compare him to Pete Crow Armstrong. I mean, this is a guy that is in the forties on our board who's being compared to pretty much a no doubt first round pick. Guys like Justin Lang or Alejandro Rosario or Victor Medeiros or Carson Montgomery are all pitchers who have first-round talent, uh, but in this class, they get slid down the board more because there's really good college pitching. Uh, so just more risk in that demographic. But if you want to look at the upside and dream on these kids, all of them have phenomenal upside. I mean, a guy who wasn't even going to play this year, Daxon Fulton, is a left-handed pitcher who could have been a first-round um, a first-round type of talent with a if he didn't have Tommy John surgery. I think they're just the depth overall. I mean, we haven't even talked about Carson Tucker, who maybe was the biggest riser in the high school class this spring after adding a bunch of which is, and, which is crazy because Cole Tucker was the biggest riser in his class too. Yeah, it's something the Tucker boys do. I guess they just improve when they need to. So Hey, hey Carson did it without having to go to NHSI. So he gets a credit over Cole there because Cole did it at NHSI. Yeah, but I, I just think that there's – it's just it, – it's very clear to me that this is the deepest draft that I've covered since I've been at baseball America. And that also makes it so painful that this is the year we have five rounds. Cause if you ha- if we had a typical draft year, I don't want to be crazy here, but I feel like this is a draft we could look back on as one of the better drafts in, in recent history. We have to see how it all plays out obviously, but man, it's just so loaded. And if, oh. if you're a team that's not spending, or I know there are rumors about teams not, like spending the money on these players, that is the stupidest thing I could ever imagine. And, and I will note that if you don't spend it, you're, you're, you're saving yourself basically nothing in 2020 because you're only yeah. spending $100,000 per player. Exactly. It's year. all deferred anyways. Go get these players. They're really good. You know, I, I, just, I just love well, this class. Well, okay, let, let's, let's wrap it up with this thing, kind of to, to, on day two and going past day two. What is your sense of what's going to happen First off, what's going to happen in rounds four or five? Where, where do we think we get into the let's make a deal portion of this draft? Is it starting the fourth? Is it getting the fifth? Or is it team by team? I think I was going to say it's, I think it's going to be team by team. Your last point, I think, is the, the best one. Depending on what teams target up top, if you have teams getting really aggressive up top, they might have to save money with their fourth and fifth picks. And I think there are going to be plenty of players that they'll be willing to take a deal because they're trying to get drafted in this short which, by the way, though, but I will note, you're, if you took a bargain basement guy in the fifth round and let's say sign him for 100 k mm-hmm. that's not going to give you a whole lot. This isn't the same thing as, as you've already noted. This isn't the same as going like the Mets did and going senior sign for basically you know most of day two. Mm-hmm. By doing so, you would save yourself, if you had a 
a mid fifth, you know, let's say even a top of the first, the fifth round pick, you're going to save yourself about $300,000, which helps you. But even doing that in that round and the fourth is still going to only save you like 700, 600, 700,000. It's not going to save you those millions of dollars that you would potentially, you know, which could help you sign one of the guys you took earlier. So it definitely could matter. And I think there are going to be plenty of players who, who are not, like bottom feeders that, that might be willing to take deals like that just because of all the uncertainty. So I, I do think we'll see some teams maybe take advantage of, of the leverage they might have in this situation. But I think that at the same time, if there are other teams who play it straight up, they could take advantage of the depth of this class, basically just by signing guys at slot, kind of just going down their board like you would if it was an NFL or an NBA kind of style draft. And I think you could benefit from that because we're talking about the amount of depth in this class. I do think it's strong in that three to four to five round range. If you just played your board straight up throughout this draft, I think you could end up with a really good class. So it, I think it, it just kind of depends on the strategy you take in your top few picks will determine how you kind of have to manage the last few. Again, now we're not saying our, our, our board is a perfect, you know, summary of, of how guys are going to go. And some of these mm-hmm. guys may not even, you know, it, there's also asking prices and all that. Some guys may be better off to go back to school, but like, when I look at guys who we have outside of the 160 or, or you know, on our board, like, mm-hmm. a, like a Mason Erla, you know, for example, or, you know, Kale Emsoff, or, you know, you could just keep going down the list. I'm just looking about, you know, college guys who, mm-hmm. who aren't right now, like very conceivably Jordan Woe, you know I mean? Like for Michigan, like, uh, you know, oh, Blake Dunn for Western Michigan is too like Dunn, you know, like, Will Klein at Eastern Illinois. Like, there's a lot of guys who it's like, I don't know if he's going to get picked. But you know what? This guy is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Braden Oldhoff at, at Tulane. Like, I could just keep going down this list and finding guys who I'm like, I think that that guy, I could really make a good – Hudson Haskin, also at Tulane, is, tool, is really toolsy. Now, he's a draft-eligible sophomore who will be a draft-eligible sophomore next year. I, I think he probably makes it back to school. In a normal draft, though, we'd be talking about that guy as like, that's a really good day two pick. Mm-hmm. We don't know, even know if he's going to go on day two this year because it's a five-round draft. But yeah. the, the last thing with that is, is, okay, going beyond that, how do you think this, the non-drafted free agent, like, is it going to be crazy busy? Is it going to be some team busy? Do you know, not, and it's okay, I'm putting you on the spot. If you don't have a sense yet, we, we, don't have, we haven't gotten to the draft yet, much less the Sunday signing period, so... Yeah, I, I think most teams would be pretty involved in at least getting a handful of players. It's hard to say the exact amount they're going to get just because of the number of cuts and releases and how they're going to deal with just roster spots in general at the minor league level. Like if you don't have places to send these guys and play them, you might not be too busy. And if you're not paying minor leaguers, you're not going to be busy at all. But I think most teams will be pretty interested again because I think there are going to be a number of really good players who are worth well more than 20 k and teams know are worth well more than that who will be willing to take 20K this year and just try and get their pro career started. Um, hopefully we get some more clarity kind of after these five rounds are completed and, and teams kind of have a better feel maybe for what they're looking for. But I would imagine most teams are involved. I, I can't imagine there are a ton of seniors who are really dying to get back into the draft market next year when they're a year older and they're 23, 24 in some cases competing with an even deeper senior class next year so. There's going to be some names. The, the flip side, I will say, though, this is a, the nightmare scenario. This year, there may not be a minor league season. Next year, spring training 
is going to be one where there are going to be teams who are going to be having to lop off three, four teams of rosters to get down to what we expect, not finalized yet, but the expected four full season clubs plus one complex team, which is what we expect will be the the minor league structure next year. It's conceivable that there will be non-drafted free agents who sign this year and get released in spring training having never played an actual official minor league game, which – I would hate that to happen because that would that would just just awful for the idea of yeah. like oh it's a minor leaguer, oh what what was your stats? Actually, I don't have any stats because uh, <laughs> I got released. You know, my first spring training. And the reality of it is, is one thing that I, I it's a it's cruel, but it's a, it's true. If you're signed for twenty thousand dollars, if you're signed for even one hundred and fifty, they got something invested that there's like okay, let's give them a little bit more time. Mm-hmm. At twenty thousand dollars. You, you don't have the same compunction of, oh, we can't release this guy. We you just have slump money. money. Right, exactly. First round pick, you have slump money. You know, you're, you're going to get extra chances. And I, I hope that doesn't happen, but I do fear that there may, could be a possibility of something yeah. like that. Way to end it on the bright note that this is a horrible scenario for players all around, JJ. Thanks. <laughs> it's, it's a bright and happy time, 2020, you know. Yeah. Um, but, hey. uh, you know, but – but we will continue. We may, we may even do another one of these because uh, this is fun and there's way too much that we can cover before the draft gets started. But we will have, we have a mock-up right now at BaseballAmerica.com. We have reports on 500 players. Yes, Talk they're only three. You know, there's only 160 that they're drafting, but hey, we got to write, you know, we cut it down. We would do 800 in a normal year. We cut it to 500 this year and we're really bummed that they're not going further than they are. Um, but, you know, but... Carlos will be on the uh, MLB uh, Network draft on Wednesday and Thursday this year, uh, two days. So mm-hmm. we, I, I would say that we'll, so we'll be continuing to, to talk remotely, but we've been doing that for three months now, so it's not that different. <laughs> yeah. but, but check everything out at BaseballAmerica.com. If you're not a subscriber already, you can jump in and join us. You know, we have a massive amount of content to get you ready for the draft. And we'll be analyzing it all through and after the draft. Baseballamerica.com slash shop dash dash now will get you a uh, online subscription or you can subscribe to the magazine. You can purchase books. You can get single issues. Check that out. Baseballamerica.com. For Carlos, I'm JJ. So long, everybody. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.